Hello everyone, welcome to Pap Stories and this is your host Sankit Thakur. Now the word Pap here is a shorter version of research papers and nothing else. Now this is a podcast where I talk to different PhD students about their research work and a paper of their own choice. today's episode, I'll be talking to Mr. Housing Lee, who is my fist bump friend from EDS 2021. And just like me, he is also involved in multiple projects, but uh, unlikely he tends to be better at them. I will talk about some of them in today's episode. So welcome again, Housing, and it's a pleasure hosting you today. Um, We'll start by talking about your research work and what you're currently focusing on in your PhD. Hi. Um, Sankit, like, thank you so much for inviting me to be here. And I watched your talk with Marius and like some people before, and that was super interesting. Thank you again for inviting me to this talk. My name is Housing Lee, and I am a PhD student in the Addis PhD program and to Darmstadt. In the Addis program, I work with Irina Gurvich from to Darmstadt and Andre Martinsch from University of Lisbon and the company Unbabel. Previously, I was in uh, New York University for my master's in the major of data science. And back in undergrad, I was in Renmin University of China, uh, which is in Beijing and doing some linguistic work and a little bit of computer science. So in a PhD, I'm now working on uh, generally multimodal learning and specifically like the current project that I'm working on is on code generation and so far we are just focusing on code generation which is first open domain and second with some vague test prompts so I think that's basically a very all right, that's that's very interesting. So you said you're working on multimodal learning, and you also said that you're working on code generation. So what is the multiple modalities you're using? For sure, one of them is going to be text. What is the other yep. modalities that you deal? Yep, sure. So so far, I talked with the advisors. So uh, we've been thinking about. Okay, so for for sure, I the current project that I work on is code generation. That was based on some text introductions or like text prompts or whatever you want to call them. We, so, so far the two of the modalities that we have now is text and program languages. So in the future, we also kind of would like to work for sure. We'll be working with some like images or some videos that will be like very, um, I think that would be super common. And that is also a, a hot topic these days. Besides that, I also expect to work on some tabular data, which is trying to like extract something from the database and you to use the database to um, try to improve the conversations between agents or users or anything. Interesting. So to give a taste of what you are working on, I suppose that's why you chose the paper which we're going to discuss today, right? Yeah, sure. That paper is from OpenAI, so it's, I think it's very similar to like last year's, if you have looked at the GPT-3 paper, 
I think it's very similar. Um, so I choose this paper because of two reasons. So first thing is that it's come very recently and it brings a lot of influence to like uh, this kind of language models, code generation, prompting sh a few shots, whatever. There was a lot of there was a lot of topics behind this. And the second thing is that I think this paper is um, it's like not that technically um, hard to understand or the mathematically heavy. Um, this paper is more about like uh, how to train large language models and try to evaluate that on code snippets. And it proves that uh, this thing really works. And I think it's a good base for us to um, talk about like some large language models and how can we do with that. Like what should we do in this kind of hype of training large language models to do everything? Because it really seems that with large language models, they can do a lot of things. Okay. So just to clear it, we are discussing about the papers titled Evaluating Large Language Models on Code. Yep, exactly. Or if you look at the model or if you look at the platform, the model is the codex and the platform or the API is the copilot. And interestingly that you mentioned GPT-3. So... I mean, GPT-3 was a generic language model. It was a, so the title of the GPT-3 paper was exactly language models are few short learners, right? So yep. that was effectively more into few short learning problems. But in fact, Codex proves that machine learning is more of a non-free lunch problem. I mean, it states that generalization usually comes at the cost of the performance. So... What GPT-3 essentially does, you feed in large amount of language training data, and then it kind of learns to generate some code given few samples of languages during the inference or test time. Fortunately, I was able to get the invitation code for the beta program that they have. And I noticed that, okay, they have particular segments. So they have ML models, which are more accurate when they're designed to solve one specific problem instead of generalizing it to a, like a very generic problem like what GPT-3 does. For example, I was trying to use when I applied for the GPT-3 beta program, I, I wanted it to make an application for Tinder to talk with girls and generate sentences along with that. So I wrote some of the sample sequences of sentence and Unfortunately, the GPT-3 does not provide meaningful conversation as you go on by second or third iteration. But with Codex, it's, it's really amazing because you have different contexts, whether you want to generate natural languages sequence, whether you want to generate code sequence, whether you want to generate HTML based or so they have like nine or 10 different categories for which they want to generate. Thank you, Sankate, for um, proposing your your personal experience with the GPT-3 model on creating some some chats in some like human relationship domain. No, because when I got to know about the paper, I think <coughs> they test models, different models of codex ranging from 12 million parameters to 12 billion parameters. So they mm -hmm. test different models on a different set of training data. And the training data comes from about like GitHub websites and Stack Overflow. Yeah, sure. uh, it's about, if I have the data over here, it's about 179 GB of Python files, which comes from 54 million public repositories at GitHub. And they have other data coming from Stack Overflow 
and they have about 10,000 problems which is used for fine tuning and the data for that comes from 10,000 problems from competitive programming and about 40,000 of it comes from integration test which i believe this kind of data is very much different from what it was used in gpt3 where it was just natural language sequence whereas here in this case it's essentially all of it is code or unit test if i'm not wrong i think for this kind of engineering part of um building up task descriptions and what should you do for this task is one of the most hated research field inside of natural language processing uh it is called prompting so the idea of prompting is that first you have a you create a task description and the task description can be done in two ways one is that you just manually write them so this is like very engineering right um another way you can do is first you just create some embeddings and you just train them uh with the mod, with the like the task you just saw i'll say like most of the improvements switching from a um general uh language modeling language model that was trying to predict the next token to a predict a next token in some specific domain i think so far it just proves the success of this kind of prompting uh techniques yeah or prompting tricks or whatever don't you think you know train gpt3 on a codex based training data and then maybe create a different version of gpt3 maybe gpt3 3.1 so they already have a train model what if they could have just fine tuned gpt3 on codex based training data why did did not do that yep i think this is a very interesting question for example if you imagine gpt3 as a um, very generic learner of for example anything then i think the like one of the most one of the important thing in that thing is like uh let gpt3 know what task they are trained on so i think that is a i think that is not like very research question that is more i think it's a engineering question all right there are two things which you mentioned in your answer which kind of interest me a lot first thing you mentioned about the pair programming that is guiding the programmer or like let's say helping the programmer to define to help it to do the coding essentially second thing you mentioned about the training of the data samples which they have which is very interesting to me because i'm really intrigued by how they basically go forward tokenizing the code samples because it's not a natural language words which you can simply tokenize the words and then feed it to let's say a transformer model you have how do you tokenize the code experts excerpts which you have from the data like So I just wondering if you if you want to know just about GPT-3 papers or about like what people are using in like all this research field. No, I want to understand in general like in the context of let's say your research so you're also working in code generation how do you essentially tokenize the code samples which you have? Mm-hmm. How does it differ from tokenizing a normal word sequences? Yep. So thank you for asking this question. This is a very interesting question as well cuz like um i think this question if you relate to um a lot of nlp problems for example machine translation um or multilingual things i think this is also another very inter- very like meaningful topic there are a couple of ways to do it with thing the kind of coding things 
So the first thing we can do is, okay, so we just define a um, fixed vocabulary. In this fixed vocabulary, we're just trying to let the model just finish one task. And we just figure out every um, token they're trying to use in that prediction code prediction or code synthesis in that task. So I think that is, um, that is so far it, it does very well, but um, I think um, for this part, it is limited to a domain. This is done by a lot of people in the um, symbolic or neuro-symbolic ways to solve this kind of code synthesis or code generation problem. Another way I think it applies more to the open domain is like trying to apply for apply like a lot, uh, some of, uh, not a lot, uh, some of like NLP, um, NLP ways to pre-process the data. So one of them is the BPE encoding. So BPE encoding is just trying to, um, for example, um, get all the data that you that you that you you will meet, and you're just trying to. Um, concatenate single um, characters or single alphabets of them. And then you're just trying to see like how frequent of them and using that frequency to do a ranking and whatever and to get a final vocabulary of a fixed size. So with this, uh, you, you can assume that a lot of these kind of subword tokens, they really represent some meaningful parts of the word. I think that's basically what people are using right now. And there could be a lot of other ways. Just you can go, you can go back to the simple, the basic, um, splitting out by um by by like, uh, spaces as well. So, it doesn't really affect you. But if you want to do a um open domain task, so, I think BP encoding is what they're trying to do so far. Um, the only reason is that what data you're trying to pre-process. Interesting. I just have this one stupid question to ask. Do you think is it, it is easier to deal with natural languages than dealing with code-based data? Which one would you say it's easier to deal with? I don't think it is easier to deal with natural language. I mean, uh, for natural language, there could be a lot of ambiguities. So um, language are human-made, so, so there could be a lot of a lot of things that are going on. Um, but with code, I think for... I think it's much more better because like one of one way you can do it is like you just throw it to a compiler and use the compiler to bring you out like every statement that it has, then you can work with it or you can even work with it very well, like in a lot of senses. Um, but for natural language, I think the, yeah, always pre-processing is always a big question of natural language because, uh, for example, imagine that you have like you have been using a BERT model Okay, so a bird model is trained on some Wikipedia text and some like uh, harshly grained novels, which is called like, which is, yeah, I don't remember the name, but it's like the, some kind of harshly grained novels or other, other things. And if you want to train this, if you want to use their processing, pre-processing method, to, for example, to do on some like medical, or like medical text domain, I don't think it's very doable. So um, I think for this part is a question as well. Like, so I don't think natural language processing could be easier than code. I think I might have counter argument because you say natural languages is pretty ambiguous and you know, it's 
kind of like really hard to deal with. I, don't you think it's the similar case when dealing with code because some people write code efficiently and some people like me do not write code very efficiently because like a crappy code. So, you know, you have the the ambiguity coming in between because, okay, which code is doing the efficient solution or which code is not really efficient. So that was again a rhetorical I think this, this is a very interesting question as well. I'm saying this because it brings out one of the most important thing is kind of in this kind of general generative models for text and for code. So um, it's about the evaluation of it. So how do you think it's a good code and how do you think it's a good language? So I think you were mentioning it's about like, uh, it's, it's, more, it's more related to the human evaluation of um, how the good code is or how the good language speaking is. But um, actually, I think one thing that is better in code is that you can evaluate it by um, if it's executable, if it's um, if it can gives you the good if you can gives you the same results and based on this process, I think um, the kind of efficiency or like write good codes in general um, so far is secondary, but it could be a really interesting evaluation metric. But it really has to like depend on a lot of evaluators that try to evaluate the code. There is one excerpt from the paper which I've noted it down that says that. We sample tokens from Codex until we encounter one of the stop sequences. Since the model will continue generating additional functions on statements otherwise. So this is interesting except because they say, okay, the model will meaninglessly will go on and generate random samples, even though it has finished this, finished this particular block, which addresses the problem. And I kind of uh, experienced this because in the Codex Playground, I asked that model to give me an HTML page, which kind of divides that width into two divisions, 80% and 20%. And it did that, but there was an option to keep generating the another set of sequences. And it kept on generating because for other tasks, okay, it just finished the sentence and it will not generate further. But for this task, which I've noted down that it kept on generating other words, but as a comment. So it was, it was still smart enough to generate additional sequences of, of, let's say, code, but as a comment. So it will not affect your main problem or let's, let's say the main solution which addresses the problem, but okay. it will keep on generating random code, random HTML code, even without having knowledge that it does not really make sense. Second comment, which I would have, which afterwards you can have your comment on it, that to, you mentioned that um, this codex or GitHub Copilot was essentially made to help programmer in coding for the design problems or whatever you have. So basically what mm -hmm. Visual Studio does, like it kind of prompts, give you certain prompt that you can do this, but Visual Studio only give you prompts for defined function. Maybe this can give you prompts for like the whole function, you can write it like this. So one generic question, do you think Codex can replace or take the programmer's job in future if further research is done on it? Okay, so um, thank you for asking these two questions. I, this, I think these two are interesting as well. So um, I think I'll go for the first one. This brings me to a lot of, um, actually a lot of ideas in NLP. So the first thing you're mentioning about like, okay, so they're generating some maybe syntax correct codes, but not related to what you want them to do. I think there could be like two, maybe two problems 
uh, regarding this thing. So um, problem number one. So what I'm thinking is that okay, so um, there there could be some overfitting within it because like um, when you're generating the code, actually I I watched a lot of the text sequences. It's just a general task. It's a, it, it is just a kind of a general task description of what. Uh, we actually, uh, personally, I would say that it's um, so far without enough specifications to it. And if we want to solve these specifications, then I think, um, I think the first, I think there could be two ways. One is that make the model understand that um, he cannot uh, rely too much on this kind of a very uh, vague. Um, test descriptions without any, for example, let's do it. Let's do it the like uh, the most simple way, like without any specifications of hyperparameters. So you want to build a CAM, but they get you an RN, something like that. It it still works, but um, it it some tests it still works, but it could not be what you expected. Another thing is just we work on the data set to add more specifications to it. So um, I think this could be a really huge problem. Like we can do it either. I mean, this is a very interesting research field that we can make it like the model learn the space of the specifications and maybe the model can learn, can can like um, use more specifications from the text. So um, I think that's that's the that's the first part of it about the problem, about the maybe overfitting things. I'm not sure if it really is the problem. And I think another thing I, I wish to bring things in mind is that um, there was actually a problem in the uh, machine translation field that was trying to um, that was happening for all the like the neural models. It is that um, you are generating code, so um, but your code seems your I mean, sorry you're generating um, some text sequences, and your sequences seem to be grammatically correct, but at the same time they don't seem to be really uh, reflecting what it is for the source language. I think this thing is like one example of the general description of the problem named hallucination. So um, I think with this, there, there could be like a lot of things to happen. I, and I think this machine translation problem can be also adapted to what it is in the uh, code generation problem. So you're generating some um, grammatically correct code, but it just based on some um, some samples that people have that the model has seen before in their training data and not exactly to what you want uh, in your case. So I think there could be a lot of works to do on this. Let's then go to the second question, whether can AI replace human jobs? And in this case, programmers. Um, I don't think it is the case so far. So um, I, I, I'm just meaning so far, I don't know about like the 100 year future. Because at that time, I would probably, I'd probably be nothing. Yeah, I'm probably in my next life. I feel probably in a karma, but I don't know. So I want to say that um, I think in the near future that we won't see this happening because um, I think so far that what we want AI to do is the first step is to generate some like very simple operations. Uh, and I think maybe the next step which is what we want to try to do is some open, more open domain task. And for this task, it is actually that um, AI needs more than the, um, this, the knowledge of the syntax of the code. Uh, it actually needs more knowledge of what exactly the task you're working on, right? 
So um, I think this is this is the next step. And there could be another next step is to solve some algorithmic questions. After we solve all these problems with all like upper knowledges of whatever else, I don't know what about the case then. But so far, I just think that this could be. So if you look at the codex, uh, the test samples they gave us, I think most of them are just like very simple uh, one method. So one method of doing a one specific task of whatever. And what it do now is trying to aggregate all the tasks. But um, actually, all these tasks are like, uh, they cannot be, they, they, you cannot combine, okay, so you say, you say you build a really huge uh, chatbot and you build a web for it and this, it can be decomposed into a lot of tasks. So I don't think at this time, the um, the model can be, that can solve every single task in a good, very planning way. Cool. Uh, one more thing which I want to talk about is that, is the doc string generation. There's a new thing which they, I don't know if it is a new thing or not, but they mentioned that for each piece of code, they have also mentioned some samples of this in the paper as well. So yeah, this is the doc string that is essentially is a natural language description of the code. So whenever you are writing code, you kind of like have uh, a comment stating what does the code do? what is the input and what are the some sample outputs given the given some examples so they they train the model using doc string like they they arrange the data set and they kind of also have the reference solution and then they transform it into a doc string kind of thing so maybe you can elaborate a little bit on the doc string and how they do maybe Sure. So I'm thinking of, um, so you are mentioning about this kind of input of two modalities. One is um, exactly the text inputs, some instructions, general descriptions of the code. Another thing is some samples with some uh, like, what are the possible outputs of it? So I think this really, this is something that combines like two research fields um, or two research topics in code generation. Do you think these are two different modalities? Because one is a text natural language description of what the uh, what the function will do. Second thing is just the sample output. You mentioned these are two different modalities. I mean, it, I mean, I would say that yes and no. But like, if it's, uh, I would say that yes because like they're, they're they have different they have just have different like uh, grammars or like syntax or whatever. But no, because they are imp they are. I don't know the I don't know actually the model that was in GPT that was like in Codex, but if if it's like if it's for sure fine-tuned from a GPT three model, then I just like they just pre-process in the same way. So I don't so I think that's that's basically about it. I would say there could be there there are some active research exactly on either of these two. So I think the GPT three people are just combining them together. So for example, let's take the first one. So the first one I think yeah um is the is the one I now I focused on. So um like you have some like you have some like text instructions to see okay so with this um you can do a, you can do a lot of things. Um you can you can say okay so with this instructions uh we can generate a code so we can just map this part of information to like some code parts, some lines or whatever. Um and with the second part I think it's um a lot of program synthesis people are trying to do. So um, based on based on some text, 
based on sorry based on some uh based on some samples and they can use this use use some neural networks to try to predict the whole program from that and there could be like a lot of discussion of like either of these two information is useful or what so i think one of the recent papers that i read is i think it's on open review so far and it says that okay given some like when you're generating codes given some intermediate outputs they also give some good results uh so i think there there, there are some like good experiments on this so i think it just gpt3 people are combining all the information they have one last technical question and then we will move to the generic questions about the paper uh, can you tell a little bit about the loss functions which you might be using in your research like how do you go about comparing the losses for the neural network output or some of the metrics which you use for training mm-hmm. a language based model data yeah so i think we can extend this to more interesting part um if you are just talking about gpt3 models i think they're just using i think it's just uh general kr divergence i don't think it's like uh that much difference than the loss functions that we use in machine translation task uh i mean the normal way so um there could be like more newer methods proposed for example there is something called the um uh minimal risk training so for this thing is that okay so they just so assume that the um basic loss function is you compared the like the predictions i mean the predictions are like for example in some probability and with that kind of looks something looks like probability you just compute the kr divergence between that probability and the um, one half vectors um of the output in a sequence right like it is argued by like some people saying that okay so for this thing we have some difficulty in like when we are sampling from it we just sampling we 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 we're just doing different things so um that could get some like bad outputs so what they do is that okay they then they trying to uh first get the outputs and using the outputs to sample a few text and use those sampled ones to compare it to form a distribution of to or or to like mimic a distribution or a text and use that kind of thing to compare it with the true distribution that you want to compare so i think that could be more interesting than just the gb3 I think we have talked a lot about the paper. I think it's time to move on a little bit into having an interesting discussion about your side projects which you have been doing on. But before we go into that there is one question which I want to leave a few moments later. Put it on to the listeners that okay so in this paper they have trained so many large models ranging from as i stated earlier ranging from 12 million to 12 billion parameters like very huge model all trained on gpu don't you think large model that they kind of lead to carbon emissions i know we have we have talked about this in eds so okay that's why i did not ask you this question so i'm just going to leave this to the listener do to think having large models or training large models on gpu kind of causes a large amount of carbon emissions from gpu training so i'm just going to leave you with that and with that we're going to move forward to the things which you have been doing apart from 
your research with your NYU buddies, or I should say Brooklyn represent. It's not Brooklyn, it's New Jersey, actually. <laughs> I, I, I used to live in, uh, for the past years, I've been living in Hoboken in New Jersey. So um, actually it's not some NYU friends, it's some, it's some like music schools in New York and I met, some, I met a lot of friends there. And one of them is my roommate, so we are just... Okay. And uh, like, what kind of songs is it? Like hip hop or rap? What What do you do? I think it's yeah. I think it's um we ex we we for sure want to do a lot of things. So um we 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 just accept a lot of uh types of music, but um I think let's talk about some non music stuff first. Why we, I I th I want to talk about why we want to do this thing. So it comes from actually two thoughts that we have in mind. So the first thing is that, okay, we have some common interest in, in some like production or like recording things. And I would say um, my friend, he's a super pro in like a lot of like music, including instruments, recording, production, a lot of stuff. Another thing is that uh, we are just boring when we are, co when we are in the COVID thing and you're just, you just feel, you just like you, you need to stay in the house and you cannot go to school. So you have to find something fun to do. And exactly in this period, the world has been a lot of a uh, lot of things. Well, we don't expect it that was going on. So um, there could be a lot of comments. It's very natural for people to come up with some like comments on the world about a lot of things uh, that was happening. Um, so with this thing in mind, we say that, okay, maybe we just do something that was trying to like speak for ourselves, it's especially as, as one of the Asian communities in the United States. And now I'm in you. So yeah, so I'm just one of the Asian, uh, in the EU. So that's really cool. I think you have about like three or five tracks still on Spotify, right? It's on an EP with, um, three, tra three tracks. And all of them are in, uh, I think it's reggae, hip hop, or uh, mostly reggae things. All right. Thank you, Housing, for uh, a very healthy discussion today. Uh, before, before we wind up, I will also want to put this. So for those of you who have not tried Codex, please do go ahead and apply for the beta program, which they have. If not, I will also put uh, an alternate link. So there's some guy who has made this kind of um, AI pair programmer, but, but not with Codex. He has made this with GPT-J. So I think it's the, the, the model before GPT-3 uh, with GPT-J. It's not really good. It's a 6 billion, still, still, still 6 billion parameter model. So still relatively making a little bit of sense. I will also put that in the link so you can just perhaps go ahead and do this. But... Yes, um, again, coming back to you, Housing, it's it was a real pleasure talking with you after so long. Thank you for inviting me to this event. It's super, it's a lot of fun. Out. Hit that follow button to keep meeting new people and talk about their research work and getting to know exciting papers every time I upload a podcast.